Live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California and in parallel from the Turfs Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone Show this evening. Well, a pleasant good evening to all our listeners across the country and abroad. Uh, uh, thanks for joining the Water Zone. I'm Rob, along with Mr. Chris Davies, the wonderful Mr. Chris Davies, who knows all. He's the, the guru of hydro products and uh, hydraulic products, and uh, he's going to bring a lot of knowledge to the show every week, and uh, we appreciate that. So, Chris, how are you today? I'm, Good. As I you know, as you, what, as an you, acronym would, what an acronym would sound like, a guru of hydraulic products, but <clears throat> I'm, afraid, I'm afraid to do that. Hey, for those listeners who don't know, Rob was in town today. It was good to see you, Rob. You look great in that dress shirt, buddy. <laughs> Thank you. Um, going through things, I joined the gym, got a trainer, uh, changed my diet. Trying to, it, it just, I just did that, so it, you don't see the results at all. You, the only thing I know is I'm sore from going to the gym and going there through you, the things. But there, uh, the, there, there you go again, setting a good example. <laughs> I got to get better. Life's too short. I want to live a long time. So I figured I better, better get myself in better shape so, or, or in shape period. So, so California's temperature is the same as it is in Arizona. No different. It is. Yeah, absolutely. It was this weekend. You know, I was in your neck of the woods uh, this past weekend during the Super Bowl weekend. So I was in Phoenix. Yep. It was yeah, quite but, nice but, there. But you worked, you worked at your daughter's place. <clears throat> I did. We did a complete retrofit, and I showed you the picture, including uh, sent it to the wonderful Miss Kathy Kellogg from Kellogg Garden Products, who's a contributor and a, a frequent guest on our show, because we used all Kellogg Garden Products during that uh, little patio replant project. And that's all, that's all my wife uses at our place, and she makes sure our landscaper knows that that's what she wants. So they bring it up, and uh, it, it's great stuff. So... Um, you know she is a she is a very good contributor to the show and and we got some more uh, questions and things that we're gonna pass out here from our viewers and and uh, we'll we'll turn that on uh, in the next couple of weeks so we'll get we back do. to her get back to her segment but anyway we want to bring on Miss Chris Austin who is the most wonderful person in Maven's notebook she's the boss she's the know with all and she's the purveyor of the, of the notebook so Chris Austin how are you today Hey I'm doing great. I'm a champion. I, I, I'm a leader of one. Lastly, three. Me, myself, and I, right? Well, do you get along with all three? Uh, sometimes. It's <laughs> really rough when you don't, but, you know. I, I, I hear you. Uh, is, is it tough dealing with one person? Uh, you know, I, it's tough having to deal with uh, virtually all aspects of any operation. <laughs> that's what I will say. I get grumpy about that from time to time, you know. I want an assistant. Why can't I have an assistant? Who yeah, wins but... who wins the arguments? Yeah. <laughs> well we beat each other up. It's bad. It's bad. Oh. Well, you it's know tough. It's... it's tough when there's only me, myself and I. Every morning when I wake up I say to myself, I wish one of my other personalities wanted to get up this morning. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately they don't. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's the, the sad part. But you know, if you if you look in today's water news, there's a big theme going, and it's all the same. The Sierra finally gets some snow, but it's little relief in drought-ravaged California. 
La Nina forecast, NOAA gives update and dry California weather. No end in sight for California drought on course to break yet another record. Experts say the term drought may be insufficient to capture what's happening in the West. And U.S. mega drought, worst in at least 1,200 years. What more can they say about the drought? That's what I'm <laughs> Yeah, I, I, um, uh, it's bad. <laughs> I don't know what else to tell you. We got all that great snow in December and, uh, you know, and then nothing. The skies turn dry now, and they've been dry for six weeks. I drove up to my parents' house in Reno, and uh, it's melting. It's definitely melting. And, you know, when they go do that snow survey at the end of the month, uh, if, if, if we don't get anything coming through, it's going to be not not good. And, you know, it's been glorious weather up here in Northern California. Oh, just like even... It seems, you know, the weatherman doesn't say it, it, it's getting up. It, he says like the mid-70s, but it seems to be like it's been into the 80s, even the, you know, kissing the 80-degree mark. Just beautiful weather, but uh, not the weather that we would like to be having when you're positioned in between the state's two largest reservoirs and there's no precipitation coming in. Uh, you know, it's, uh, and, and it's just not looking good. You know, we've been here in California and in the United States for, I don't know what, since the, you know, late 1700s, uh, up until now. So, you know, a couple of hundred years and we base a lot of our assumptions in terms of building these water projects, you know, throughout the West kind of like, you know, the past will tell you what's going to happen in the future. And, uh, you know, as it turns out, they can do these studies with tree rings and with soil, soil cores and other techniques, and they can really figure out what the climate used to be. And as it so happens, this last, you know, 150, 200 years have actually been unusually wet in the climate record, you know, oh. which just doesn't bode well, uh, you know, it's, uh, and there are those that are just saying, you know, this is, it, it's not going to get much better, you know, this is, we're, we're, we're turning into a dry spell, and, you know, some of these droughts, they can tell from tree ring records, have lasted hundreds of years, yeah. um, so, you know, I think we're, we'll we'll just have to see again. You know, just like in December when everything was looking great, everyone was happy. It was like, well, don't start celebrating now. Sure. You well, know, I'm... don't don't start. You know, <laughs> ripping your clothes and and beating your chest now either, because uh, it just takes a handful of storms. And really, those storms can come in March. They can come in April. Uh, they've even come in May sometimes. So you know, it ain't it ain't over till the fat lady sings and she hasn't entered the building yet. Although she may be in the parking lot, but she's not in the building. Well, I know April should. You know, they wrote a song about April shower, so maybe that's the thing. But what you know, and you're right about about December, we, we, were, we had like 17 feet of snow in late December that came down of the Sierra Nevada. But yet, 
what, what's interesting to know, and most most Californians don't know, or people in the West don't know that, you know, this this drought's been going on for like twenty. It's the twenty second year of parching mega drought, and most people don't know that. They'll tell you, oh, it's just five years or six years. They don't realize how far it goes back. Well, you know, even when in in the tree ring records, even when they had you know droughts that lasted for hundreds of years, that didn't mean that there was no precipitation for hundreds of years, and there was occasionally a really wet year thrown in there. But the overall tendency was it was dry, right? Yeah. And so, you know, some people are saying, you know, we, we look at these droughts that we've had since the year 2000, and, and, you know, we think there's three years here and four years there. But really what it could be is a much longer drought with just these periods of, you know, an occasional high year of precipitation thrown in. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it, I think there's going to be a lot of work that we're going to have to do to kind of adjust to the reality, you know, that we have. And it's not looking particularly good, but it's not over yet. <laughs> so... Just as I said, don't celebrate in December. Don't start crying yet either, okay? Because no. we're we're not there yet, and and who knows what will happen. But a oh. uh, trend is not looking good. Well, Mr. Davey, what's your opinion or, or, or relief that you think is going to happen with somebody pulling the trigger on more cutbacks? When do you think that's going to happen? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the question is really can be placed this way. And Chris, you can chime in because of the proximity of where you live to the two largest reservoirs. But, you know, I mean, we all just know that there's still significant parts of the state's water system that are still under stress because of the uh, dry conditions, you know, record low record levels in the, in those reservoirs and stuff. Chris, I just read a, a short a message board deal earlier uh, in the week that was comparing the water usage this year over the past three years, and it was it was looking at Southern California versus Northern California, and it was just striking to me because uh, it was reporting that that Northern California, that's the Sacramento, San, uh, the whole San Joaquin Valley, San Francisco area, Sacramento area. Um, we're using like 15, 18, 17% less water, where Southern California, since they started uh, measuring this uh, at the beginning of the drought year in October, Southern California has used 1% more water. So does, does that surprise you? Well, it, it, it doesn't really, because I think overall, the... Uh, awareness of of southern california on a you know region-wide basis about drought and about being careful with water usage um you know it they it, it hasn't really i don't think it's really sunk in um you know the water agencies have done a, a really fabulous job of buffering the region from drought and you know it's you never really seem to to connect, you know, what it what it all means. You know, there 
Southern California talks a lot about how they've added so many residents and they haven't raised uh, the water usage. And a lot of that was because they did a very aggressive campaign of replacing toilets with low-flow toilets. Um, a, a flush of a toilet, uh, you know, in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s was, you know, uh, like four or five gallons. And now they've really cut that down. And when the whole Mono Lake thing was going on, when I don't know, I think that was in the early 90s, um, the whole thing was helping uh, Southern California cut back on their water usage so they, they wouldn't take so much water from Mono Lake. And they did that through aggressive toilet replacements. Um, and they used passive sort of ways to, you know, uh, so that you're saving water without really, you know, understanding that you're saving water. You're just using your your stuff. Now, there's there's been a lot of effort and there's a, a number of people that have done things like switched out their landscaping and they are very conscious. So I, it's not like nobody is, but, um, you know, if you drive the neighborhood, you're more likely to see grass and, and other landscaping other than perhaps more drought tolerant varieties. And it's hard to feel that there's a drought or there's a problem when, you know, there's so much water all around you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I yeah. get it. I guess, you know, the crux, the crux of this report, and it was a state report by the way, by the way, Chris, that, <clears throat> focusing on Southern California, it looks it looks as though the message in the in the report is if it doesn't improve in Southern California, that local agencies, regional agencies um, here might impose some restrictions rather than depend on you know statewide restrictions to uh, to come into effect. But still, the mandate that governor uh, governor put into effect last you know last year for the 15 percent, I mean statewide. Uh, when you add everything up statewide, we haven't met that yet either. So I, you know, I guess that's fair. You, you go where the abuse is rather than um, where the rather than where people are are complying, right? Well, you know, it's it's kind of you know here here's the thing that you know people in the water industry in Southern California might tell you is that they have worked very hard to buffer themselves against drought. They built Diamond Valley Lake, so that's a six-month supply there sitting in, in Southern California. They've invested heavily in groundwater banking, and so they have a lot of water and storage in, in all sorts of places, and they run a pretty, you know, aggressive program to, you know, get water on the Colorado River by, you know, paying farmers to fallow their land and have that transferred to Southern California. And so, you know, they would say we've done all this effort to buffer our rate payers against this type of shortage. So, you know, it, it, it's, the, it's the problem with these like statewide mandates, you know, like a 15%. There are some areas in California, in Southern California, I think Riverside is one of them where they have a very healthy groundwater basin and and they didn't feel that they had a problem that they had to cut back 
when they were issuing the statewide mandate and there were they were saying, you know, hey, we're we're on our own here in our groundwater basin and we're doing just fine. Why do we have to cut back? Um and they yeah. filed lawsuits against that. You know, it's it's very hard to apply this, you know, one size fits all sort of strategy to the entire state. And if your water agency has taken steps to buffer you against such problems, you know, is it do is it do you really is it fair to ask you to cut back when you may not have to? Now, here's a, here's a question for both of you, or either one of you. So, let's say last year, I'm just making this up. The, go the governor says you need to cut back 15%, and people did. So, where's the baseline that they're starting? Is is it is it is it from the 15% that they deducted last year and they start from that number? Or did they rise back up to what the numbers were before? Well, well let, me, let me take a stab at that, Matt, because I think it's a trickier, I think this year, it's a, this drought is a trickier thing. You know, you got to keep in mind that when 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 the current drought started, the one that's, uh, that's right now, right, it was, it's known that, that California's, its overall water use in California was lower now at the beginning of, of this latest drought, this you know this past couple of years or this past year actually, than, than it was when the last drought began back in you know the mid uh, 20 teens. So you know what I guess the question is if all these rules and restrictions come into a uh, come into place. I mean I'd like to see as a California resident and a ratepayer I'd like to see exactly how much water we're expected to save first. Right? I mean I what's the what's the tangible measurement? Right. Chris? Yeah, and, and that's that's kind of the problem, you know, is that again, you know, it can't be a one size fits all and not everyone is in water stress, you know. Although all the the sources of water are, are impacted. So, you know, I think we all need to be wise about the the water that we use, but it's hard to to say to everyone in the state to cut back a certain amount because, you know, not everyone is in the same degree of water stress. Now, part of this whole thing about these conservation mandates is that uh, way back in Governor Jerry Brown's term, he passed a piece of legislation called making California uh, conser conservation, making water conservation in California way of life or something like that. And what this entailed is they're working on developing a set of regulations uh, that would have water agencies and water districts, uh, you know, have to meet certain mandates, like to cut back to a certain amount of indoor water use and a certain amount of outdoor water use. And... Part of this uh, effort involves uh, mapping all the urban areas by satellite so that they can drill down into the property, each individual property and see how much landscaping you have and develop a water budget uh, and the, with the idea of moving that, that water use down. There are fines and stuff. Um, and this, you you hear people sort of talk about this sometimes, like you won't be able to do a load of laundry and take a shower on the same day. 
um, or, or else you'll face a fine. And, and it really isn't that at all. Um, it's, I believe it's modeled on something similar to what the power companies are, you know, are under where, you know, it, instead of, instead of building new power plants to, you know, satisfy this increasing demand for electricity, they instead uh, put the onus on the uh, electricity companies to make their customers be more uh, conservative with their use of electricity. So they, you know, that included things like tiered uh, rates. And if you were a high user, then, you know, they would come by and try and sell you solar panels and do an energy audit. And I mean, there's all sorts of steps that they took, but it, it sort of put the onus on the electricity companies to try and reduce the use rather than say, hey, we need to build a new power plant. Um, but yeah. it doesn't mean you get a fine if you overuse your electricity. But what it does do is it does make the, the electricity company try and figure out how to help you be better with your electricity use. Yeah, I think you're right. If there's any mandates that come along, I don't. I think if as they apply to outdoor watering, it's going to be stuff like, you know, water on so such and such a day if your address street address is this number or that number um ex avoiding excess runoff um you know kind of you know stuff like that not watering within 48 hours after a rainstorm you can't wash your car with a with a hose anymore you can't use well with the hose that, with the hose that doesn't have a shut off with a shut off nozzle, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah I mean, I, I can't imagine that. Uh, I, I would never think of to do that, but apparently yeah. some people do and they felt the need to, you know, pass the yeah. regulation. I, well, your, yeah, thumb, your, thumb, your thumb's not a good uh, shut off valve. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're well, right. it doesn't work as well as a shut off valve, anyway. So, you know, I mean, isn't that useful? But okay. <laughs> Well, this is yeah. a different subject here. I know uh, I was reading the stuff about not-so-bright future for sustainable groundwater use in agriculture. So that's going to cut way down on crop yields, from what I hear. Well, well, yeah, because, uh, you know, newsflash, there's not enough groundwater to go around to satisfy all the agriculture uh, that we have in the San Joaquin Valley and elsewhere in the state. And yeah, we're going to have to do something, and it is going to mean that uh, land is going to have to be fallowed. Uh, and that's, you know, I've, the estimates of how much land I've seen on the low side of 10% to the high side of some people saying maybe even as much as 50%. Um, you know, but the the water just isn't there to support the crops that we're growing. And, you know, it seems like we got into a, a mode where, you know, people would just buy a plot of land, dig a well and set up an almond orchard. Right. And, uh, you know, the, and, and it happened all over the state in grapes. Oh my word. You know, you go out by Paso Robles and then drive North on the one one And there's just, you know, grapevines as far as you can see, wow. uh, you know, and the groundwater is just not that plentiful. It's, it, it's not sustainable. 
So, yeah, there's going to be some hard adjustments. And they had a hearing at the Capitol to talk about some of these issues, you know, and and, uh, they heard from, you know, all sorts of people. Um, If this groundwater management is tough, it's really tough, you know. And the whole thing is it was put on this idea of local control, you know. So if the state isn't going to come in and tell you what, which of your farmers are going to have to not farm anymore, uh, but they put that onus on the local agencies to determine that. And there's some really tough, difficult conversations and decisions ahead. Well, we're going to cover that in another episode because it's a deep subject and there's a lot, a lot of people writing on this with agriculture and the fight with other people. So we'll get back to that. But Chris, we're heading up to our commercial break here, and I know it's time for you cooking your hubby dinner, and we don't want to get him un- get him angry about that. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, Chris, thank you for joining us again, and for those who are listening, as a recommendation, always on every show, please go to www.mavensnotebook.com, become a subscriber, become a sponsor. It's a great way to get the most updated news in water in California and other places. But uh, Chris does an awesome job on that, and we appreciate that she's uh, part of our show. So, Chris, thank you very much, and we'll be talking to you next week. All right. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. All right, we're going to take a little break back, a little break, and we'll be back in a few minutes. And uh, we have a special guest all the way from Arizona, and it's a pretty interesting topic of what a high school union district is doing with water. So stick around. We'll be back in just a few. This is 1050 AM KCAA Loma Linda and 106.5 FM Yucaipa. They love you. They love you not. They love you. Satisfying your customers, it's a full-time job. Want an easy way to make them happy? Try having your ornamentals delivered straight to the job site with Nursery Direct. Could save you and your clients a pretty peony. Think about it. Instead of driving to the nearest nursery, picking up the order, and then driving to the job site, the crew's able to begin work right away. That cuts time and labor. Savings you can pass on to your customers. And you can get your plants delivered direct, even if you don't have a nursery branch in your area. Here's another quick tip. Keep a substitutions list on standby for every project so your team knows what to do in case a plant isn't in stock because there's nothing customers appreciate more than a project that finishes on time and on budget. They love you. They really love you. Aww. Are you presently part of the irrigation industry as a worker or business owner? Do you want to learn how you and your staff can boost your knowledge and productivity? then you should check out Irrigator Technical Training School. Irrigator Tech is the leading source of quality instruction serving all facets of the irrigation industry. Their courses provide a basic, easy to understand approach that raises the skill level, competency, and professionalism of landscape and irrigation personnel through practical education and services. Irrigator Tech combines classroom and real life hands-on training leading to a well-recognized certification that both customers and employers demand. Irrigator Tech specialized courses can help you quickly become a certified irrigation auditor or a certified installer, repair, maintenance, or backflow technician, 
Courses also include certificates in smart water application or becoming a certified tree worker. Most importantly, all certifications are state recognized and Irrigator Tech offers annual renewal classes to help keep your certification up to date. So whether you work in California, Washington, Oregon, Nevada, or Arizona, there's an Irrigator Tech class near you. For more information on how to jumpstart your career, call Irrigator Tech toll-free 866-614-1755 or visit them on the web at irrigatortech.com. That's toll-free 866-614-1755 and on the web at irrigatortech.com. K-C-A-A. All right, welcome back to the second half of the Water Zone with Rob and Chris. I hope everybody's having a great evening. Uh, we have a special guest tonight. His name is uh, Tom Huffman. He's the deputy superintendent for Agua Fria Union High School District in Arizona. And Tom currently serves as a deputy superintendent of operations. Uh, departments under Tom's supervision include facilities, bond projects, finance, transportation, human resources, and food service. And Tom has worked in the district since 2005. He previously served as an assistant supervisor for educational services. Tom was responsible for the development of Canyon View uh, High School in Waddell, Arizona, which has received numerous awards and honors, including the prestigious James D. McConnell Award as the top school project internationally by the Association for Learning Environments. I think I can add a little bit to that uh, for you, Rob. Tom came to the district as a founding principal of Verado High School in Arizona. Verado is an innovative and award-winning school designed around recommendations for school reform found in, quote-unquote, Breaking Ranks 2, which we'll find out a little bit more here in a few minutes. Tom grew up in Indiana, has a bachelor's of, uh, in biosciences from DePauw University, also is a member of the Athletic Hall of Fame there, and earned his master's degree in educational leadership and administration from the University of Phoenix. He began his career in education as a science teacher. Tom and his wife, Cindy, live in Arizona, and they have two children. I'd like to welcome you, Tom, to the Water Zone Radio Show. Thanks, Chris and Rob. It's great to be here, and we appreciate you having me. Excellent. Well, you know what? Let's uh, let's start off right at the uh, beginning here at the basics and have you tell us a little bit about Aquafria Union High School District, kind of how many campuses are there, how many students, that sort of a thing, just to give our listeners a, a, a broad view. Sure, I'd be happy to do that. Alafria is located on the west side of uh, suburban Phoenix, Arizona. We're a high school district. Um, we're about 95 square miles in size. We have five large comprehensive high schools. Uh, have a couple alternative programs, including a full online school, which is new to us this year. It started really small and grew pretty rapidly during the recent Omicron spike. Um, we have about 9,200 students total, uh, about 900 employees. And maybe one unique thing about our district is, is we have 18 um, outstanding career and technical education or CTE programs, includes things like engineering, coding, ROTC, medical assisting, graphic design, broadcast production, um, agriculture, sports medicine, and marketing. 
Uh, right, kind of right, right. That's a broad brush to paint right there, <laughs> right? So we're a water show. So let's like kind of get right into the meat of the subject here, because uh, I know that uh, your district has a big effort into uh, conservation. So tell us a little bit about that and, and just why it sparks interest for you and why you're doing it. Sure. We have a new superintendent in our district this year, Mark Eastless. And this past August, a local newspaper did an article where Mr. Eastless was able to share some of his initial goals and thoughts regarding the importance of, of being water-wise as a district. We're also in the process of developing an updated strategic plan, which we call our Decade of Dreams. As a part of all of that, we've spent considerable time this year reaching out to our community, uh, to municipal partners. Um, that includes uh, Goodyear, Buckeye, and Avondale, Arizona, which are all uh, among not only the fastest growing areas in the state, but the entire country. Um, and we've heard their concerns regarding adequate clean water supply here in the Sonoran Deserts in regards to current and future growth. You know, Buckeye in particular just announced some new water conservation measures in the last couple months. And, and this was there was news out this week where some are calling the drought conditions in the Southwest a, a mega drought and maybe the worst in 1,200 years. So we have large school campuses. They each have around 250,000 square feet of building space. Each has a grass football field, a practice field, two baseball fields, two softball fields, as well as large cooling towers as part of our HVAC systems. And that means we're big water users. And even small changes in efficiency and practices, uh, practices we believe can save considerable amounts of water. Uh, we want to be great stewards of the environment as well as being good neighbors. So having said all of that um, and our impact on the environment, we are a school district and our vision is about all students being college and career ready. We have limited financial resources and every dollar that we spend on water is a dollar that we can't spend in the classroom on teaching and learning. So the less we spend on our water bill, the more we're able to spend on our students and our teachers. Wow. You know, looking looking at your background and everything, you know, I think you've done everything at, <laughs> at the school district. And uh, you know, my my main office where I am right now is in in California, but I also live in Buckeye uh, and got got the tour your facility, and, and it was it was an awesome school. The principal there is unbelievable. I mean, I love the passion that the guy had, and uh, just walking through the facility was just for me and my wife was just gorgeous. And uh, my, my kids are much older, so I, I can't send them to high school anymore. But if I did, I would certainly send them to Verado. But has the district conformed to any lead specification? I, I know I'm, I joined your team to help with the strategy planning of the water. But has the district conformed to any lead specifications on any of their high schools? Well, that's a great question, Rob. Um, Desert Edge High School, um, which opened in about 2001, I believe, um, it was the first school in the state uh, where any part of the school was LEED certified. Uh, phase two of that building was LEED certified. Verado High School, which you referred to, was the first school in the state to be lead, fully LEED certified, and it was it's LEED Silver. You know, our most recent high school is Canyon View High School, and uh, it was an interesting process there. And working with the uh, the head of uh, of our architectural firm. Um, we looked at, you know, there's multiple types of certification and accreditation. Each have their own requirements and costs, some of which can be significant. So what we did chose to do with our most recent school is, is we looked at all these, I think 16 different accreditations or certifications and picked what we thought was the most important to us and kind of created our own certification for this building. Wow. So what, what activities is the district launching to bring some more 
total conservation uh, conformance with water and power to, to a higher level. Yeah, you know, look, we're educators, we're not hydrologists, we're not conservationists. And so we need some help with this. So we did bring in, a, we're bringing in a consultant to assist us. And the, the important part was to start with some data and some awareness and to start creating some achievable and but ever increasing goals. Um, you know, we've kicked off a WaterWise committee. Uh, it's it's had a positive start and we're looking very definitely at the next steps with that. We, you know, it includes municipal partners, district staff, teachers, um, it's led by our science, science specialist and STEM coordinator with assistance from our facilities team. Wow. So who are the other partners that you work with that, Tom? Is it like, do you work with the municipal, uh, the municipalities? Do you work with the uh, with the utilities? I mean, what, who, who's, who are your partners? Yeah, I think this is an all hands on deck type of thing. You know, some of it starts with our architects and contractors and choosing the right people there that are willing to partner with us and have some background. Um, you know, the architect that did our last couple schools, they have a very big focus on sustainability. We have car, uh, contractors who take this very uh, seriously. The municipalities, they all have their own water struggles and um, that's important. I think that we work with four different water companies and have multiple different water rates. So that's important. Of course, our consultants an important part of this and the community uh, is it can be very important. You know, it's necessary sometimes for us to pass bond and override elections with our communities to make sure that we have the necessary staff, the resources and the equipment to accomplish these goals. Our teachers and students are important. And maybe a little bit later, I'll talk about some things with the classroom. And, you know, one just really, really key component in this is our site level maintenance and ground staff. You know, they're on the front lines and their diligence and efforts, they can make immediate impact when it comes to irrigation timers, to leaks, uh, to implementing processes and programs and to maintaining our equipment. That is a lot of challenges, Tom, for sure. So, you know, when you when you move forward with a project like this, I'm sure you have some sort of a, a strategy or an endpoint or a goal in mind or object, objective, if you will. Um, can you kind of put into words what that objective might be? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a little bit of a moving target. And I'll tell you one of the big challenges we've had is, is as we've gotten in this, it's largely been during the COVID time. So we're looking at data from before COVID. What were we doing with our facilities during COVID as we're starting to come out of it and kids are back on campus? So that's kind of made some of these mile points a, points a little bit of a challenge. But in its simplest form, we want to decrease water usage. We want to decrease the money spent on water and utilities to be good stewards of the environment and to graduate students with an awareness and information regarding these issues. Um, so we're gonna continue to focus on specific numbers and, uh, and figures that we'll develop, that we'll continue to monitor and update in conjunction with our WaterWise committee. A lot of our initial numbers centered around um, in electricity and water, 5% reductions to start with, which we thought was somewhat modest, but very achievable. Well, you know, our company deals a lot with municipalities and school districts and universities and stuff and golf courses. I mean, we're a pretty major player in, in, in the world of irrigation. So, you know, always putting specifications out is a good thing. The, the next thing that comes in to mind is how do you sustain that? And so is, are you think guys thinking about a plan or do you have one created to address sustainability of the projects? And is there any school or independent company at this time designated to be responsible for the conservation and sustainability? Because that's that's sort of the long-term vision. You know, people can do stuff right. It's like they buy a new house and they put an irrigation system in. And a year later, they don't go looking for broken 
broken pipes or the pop-up spray heads are, are are tilted or the drip emitters are gone or any of that stuff. So there, there has to be ongoing sustainability to those things. Yeah, um, you know, I think one important thing there, Rob, is that, um, you know, we set goals for math and reading and, and those type things every year. And we build those things in our strategic plan. I think it's important to build our energy uh, our utility goals into our strategic plan as well, so that those are posted just right there along with our math and English goals. Um, and you know, the person that's probably taken the lead in our district as far as responsibility goes is a gentleman named Mike Shepard. His position is uh, he's the executive director of support services. So he's the person most directly over facilities, our bond projects, and he's the person that partners directly with our consultants. And monitoring that usage and having that data available has been huge to us. And I think that, you know, one of the interesting things there is, is the more data we have, the more data we want. And I think we're gonna get better and better over time at focusing on our, um, you know, our KPI, our key performance indicators, and what are those data points we're looking to hit. Right, no, that's that's super important. You know, again, one of the things that impressed me walking through the, the Verado, at least of all the different kinds of classes and things that they offer, but have has the school district looked into educational certification classes, of maybe and, and work with maybe the Irrigation Association that they establish some things, and and offer a class when the, when the kids graduate, they be, they can become a professional water auditor or a certified irrigation manager, and they can start off at fifty sixty thousand dollars a year. I guess what I'm getting to i i never had that opportunity i mean my, my background's electronics and physics but and i went to boarding school and a boarding school they don't have shop they don't have mechanical stuff they don't have any of that stuff and my wife complains that i'm the only guy in the world who doesn't know anything about cars and can't fix that and i don't but is that something that the schools would want to do down the road or let me let me show just a wild question here are they ever thinking about building a technical high school because not everybody's cut out to go to college. And I, a, lot, a lot has been cut back in the US, uh, you know, for different things. But I, I kind of think that's a valuable thing to have. That's just my own personal opinion. Right, yeah, you know what? Uh, I mentioned those career and technical education programs when I started. And, you know, when I started in the district in 2005, coding really wasn't one of those. And those programs change as, as times change and as needs change. Um, Agri-science is a very popular um, one of our career and technical education programs. And in all of those, we are looking for certifications where students can leave us with job skills or marketable talents and abilities that, that they can go right to work with. You know, along with that is we, is we want to look at our staff too, in that, um, you know, there's things that we can do with some of them. And, and with that, we started a lot with education and awareness, seminars, workshops, classes, uh, some at the state universities on the importance of how to maintain our playing surfaces and it's more than just throwing more water on the grass to keep, keep it green. You know, that there's proper irrigation techniques and equipment. Um, you know, we have a soil testing program in place to make sure that we're giving each field what it needs in the most efficient way possible. So that's all part of that education process, I think. That's a good thing. You know, my, my, my son's a plumber and, and he works with his plumbing contractor. And I, um, I said, Daryl, if you go out and ride right up the streets to all the building, commercial buildings, schools, university, whatever, hospitals, you see backflow valves. Backflow valves need to be calibrated and checked every year and certified. I said, you can make a fortune doing that. Uh, he didn't take my advice on that, but I, you know, kids, kids do what they want to do. But there's just such huge opportunities. And I think the classes of things that you guys are doing is awesome because, again, not everybody's cut out for college, but if they can learn a trade and walk right into a job and be, you know get certified by whether it's the irrigation association or whomever, 
I mean, it's a, it's, it's a plus for them. It's a plus for the school. You're educating people and giving them opportunities that they pr probably would never have. So kudos, kudos to your, your, your guys. You're doing great. All right, guys. Hey, so let me add to that uh, just a little bit, Rob, because that's, I mean, you make a great point, right? So we look at the, in our industry, we look at the common vernacular right now, and everybody's talking about conservation and sustainability and uh, um, the water needs requirements here in the Southwest, uh, uncertain future that, that everybody's looking at, um, all the news we hear about the drought day in uh, and day out. We have seen you and I, Rob, we've had other folks on the show, and we've seen other school districts kind of kind of evolve and start to look at uh, curriculums to uh, to service that need. So, is is uh, Aquafria Union High School District looking at that, Tom? Looking to create and introduce some sort of uh, science curriculum that deals with water efficiencies, the sustainability, and all that stuff. Yeah, and can, you can you you can also get grants from some of the federal governments. Uh, uh, for these projects. I've done that for, uh, it's called Sherman Indian School in, in Riverside. That's one of four um, educational places for Indian tribe kids. And there's only four in the country. And, and we got them a grant to a couple hundred thousand dollars to do uh, irrigation projects. And, and they started a course and they started in their freshman year. And when the kids graduate, they get to be certified by the Irrigation Association. And there's plenty of jobs. Right now, the water industry is going through what we call the gray wave. <laughs> And a lot of people are retiring from that, and they're they're hurting for people desperately. Anyway, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but go ahead. No, thanks. So to start with, Rob, we, you and I might need to talk offline about some of those grants because, uh, you know, that sounds very interesting. You know, there's always been a three R's in education, reading, writing, and arithmetic. And, and, and most recently, the new three R's of education are rigor, relevance, and relationship. And you start with that first one, rigor. That's kind of the key that we're all trying to get to when it comes to education, but it's a challenge and probably near impossible just to walk into class and say, hey guys, today class has more rigor, it's gonna be a lot harder. That's not really how teenagers work. And that's where those other two R's, relevance and relationship comes in. And one of our primary strategies as a district to, to attack that is through something called project-based learning. And um, project-based learning we feel is, is a crucial technique and that's where we try and and make the learning connect to the real world. So you can start to see some really solid opportunities here. We currently have classes in environmental science, advanced placement environmental science, international baccalaureate environmental science, earth science, and we have four levels of agri-science with an internship class. So we have those classes in place and, and, and there are water components to them, but as we're digging deeper into this WaterWise initiative, there's a huge opportunity and classes that we already have in place to continue to grow that curriculum and that education and to make something that's very relevant and personal to their real lives, to their futures and what's happening in our community right now. Um, you know, as these communities are struggling to find clean water sources as, as they grow. Um, you know, just this past week, one of our uh, science teachers at one of our classes reached out to us asking for information regarding um, the performance of the solar units that we have on our on our buildings and we provided that but along with that we provided our electrical usage our gas usage and definitely our water usage for her to be able to to work with on her class um so i think that's you know the water wise committee that we have we it, we thought it was important strategically to have our science specialist our stem specialist and and one of our science teachers 
having lead roles in that committee because they're the ones that's going to be most uh, on the ground or practical or hands-on when it comes to helping us to continue to add more about water into those uh, into those classes. So I'm sure you're planning on, on the strategy planning. Was that just for the Verado School or all, all in general for the, the whole school union district? Yeah, that's that's for all of our schools. That's for all five of our comprehensive schools. Okay. So do you have a, a point in time when you when you think this will, I know you started with the meetings, but really kicking off and when would you see some uh, successes out of these things with the timeline? You know, we've we, we've largely kicked things off kind of behind the scenes uh, with our maintenance group, with our facility group, with our consultants. And, you know, it's kind of exciting. And I'm glad you asked that we, we've had a little bit of early success. And like I said, it's a little bit hard to kind of compare apples and oranges with um, with our COVID uh, school versus being full in, in person now. But in our most recent quarter that we have data on, we believe that we've actually saved several million gallons of water and maybe as much as $100,000 in this last quarter. Um, you know, I talked about how big our schools are and how much grass we have. In our last full years, we used 163 million gallons of water and, and we spent a million dollars on water. So in this last quarter, having, you know, the, these savings uh, of, like I said, a, a six figure savings, that's a huge start for us. And we're not fully up and running yet. So we have some really big aspirations about what we're going to be able to do. You know, I would love to uh, report back to you guys sometime once our data is a little further down the road and share our successes, our challenges, our accomplishments and and our efforts. And uh, and once we're, uh, you know, once we have some of those things and a little more time behind us, you know, we'd love to share this information with everybody, including our neighboring school districts, because, because we're all in this together. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of school districts in the Phoenix area and, and, and we live in a desert. Yeah. Well, I know with your broadcasting uh, room, I happen to walk by that. It sort of interests me. <laughs> I, have a, I have a recording studio in my house. But, uh, you know, one of the things I, I, I would like to offer up is we'd, we'd love to be able to, to follow you guys around and, and make a, a podcast out of this whole thing and then use that, distribute it across our, our 16 different media platforms and, and let other school districts, not only in, in Phoenix, but around the country, see what you've done and see the enthusiasm because that. It needs people like you to drive this. And, and again, with your people, with the science teachers and such, those are the motivators on the ground that's going to make it happen. And, and I think, it, you know, I'll use the word exploiting it because it's a good thing. Uh, your school should be recognized for, for what you're doing. I, I, you know, schools sometimes have have people look at the, 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 the money every single month, say, oh, well, we need to cut back on this. and that. But it's just a forceful thing. It's not doing it. So it's, it's, it's long into the future. It's not sustainable. You know, everybody does these quick fixes and then, you know, two years later, it's back to broken pipes, broken this, broken that. Uh, but you guys have the right mindset, and I think that's going to be very successful for you. Well, we'd love to invite you in, Rob, and, and we're open to you at any time. And, you know, we're happy to sell, share our challenges and, and hopefully long term share some, some accomplishments as well. Yeah, let me share a couple of thoughts on that, Rob, because when I look at the roundup of all the, you know, the other folks we've had on the show that are involved either in associations in our industry or other schools and universities and things like that, it always comes to the thought always comes to mind that so much in the in our industry, uh, you know, irrigation, water conservation have changed. I mean, not not just the products, right? They're just much more efficient these days and not just the technology that's in 
controllers and sensors, sprinklers and valves, but also the, the application and the installation practices, they have changed so much. All of this information is so important and so vital to get to, out to, to students uh, as, well as, the, as well as the general public. So yeah, we'd love to, uh, we'd love to follow up. Any uh, parting words, Tom? No, I appreciate you having on there and having us on here. And and you know what? Just by talking about this with you is is that kind of helps us to refocus and redouble our efforts. Because I'm going to make sure our key people around the office here, uh, you know, take a listen to this podcast and and uh, you know make sure that these aren't just empty commitments we're making. And just so you know, I'm not a salesman for my company. I'm not trying to sell you my products at all. Uh, but but I'm, I'm I live in Buckeye. I live less than a mile away from your school. If you ever need some some help or uh, I can go through some auditing uh, techniques with your people. Whatever you need from us, we'll be glad to help you with that. I'm sure we'll take you up on that. Great. Well, thanks a lot, Tom, for joining us uh, on the Water Zone today. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you shortly and get some of the updates. Thank you, Rob and Chris. All right. Great interventive uh, high school, Chris, you know. It was terrific. And, uh, you know, having Tom on, just, just the experience sharing his experiences with us. Uh, it's just so encouraging to see him doing that, that school, Aquafria, and other schools doing that too. I hope it continues, Rob. Yeah, yeah, it's a good good thing happening. Well, just to tell most of yeah, our- get, get Go ahead. Young people into our industry is very important. Oh, absolutely. They, there's a great need for that. And a lot of women, a lot of women in that field, so that'll be great. So things that we always tell our guests and our listeners, the most important thing we want you to do is help keep our planet blue. And for those, blue. Of, you, and for those of you who like green, if you don't have blue, you don't have green. Have a good okay. evening, and we'll talk to you all next week. Have a good uh, good evening, everybody. Good night. And good night, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. CAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM.